Sports Island is a complete sports podcast covering all major news and topics from across the PGA Tour, NFL, NBA, NHL, MLB, and NCAA. This podcast focuses on sports only, as political, racial, and social issues are not discussed. If you are a sports fan and are looking to stay up to date on all of the major news and topics from across the major sports, then Sports Island is truly your getaway destination. You're listening to the Sports Island Podcast with your host, Rick Mitchell. And now, the Sports Island Podcast. Hey everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the podcast. This is version 76 of the show. It is a fantastic episode. Lots to get into. The NHL and the NBA playoffs, we had Game 7's galore uh, over the weekend. Uh, the NBA playoffs are officially in the conference finals, so we'll get you caught up there. The NHL playoffs are in the second round officially, so we will get you caught up on that as well. Uh, PGA Tour had a very uh, low-scoring event. Uh, good, fantastic golf that was played over the weekend uh, here in the Dallas area. And then we have a major championship this weekend that we need to preview, so we'll get into that. And then uh, some news and uh, other pieces of information uh, in our Around the Island segment, which is good as usual. So we're going to start off in the PGA Tour. And uh, this past weekend's tournament was the AT&T Byron Nelson, which was held at TPC Craig Ranch. Uh, that's here in McKinney, Texas. It's about 30 miles north of Dallas uh, in the Metroplex here. It was a par 72. Distance was 7,468 yards. Uh, <clears throat> the course itself, it's the second year that they've had the Byron Nelson here after moving it from Dallas. Um, five-year contract here at TPC Craig Ranch, so we still have three more uh, Byron Nelsons here in addition to this one this year. Um, again, very good course. You know, obviously golf in Texas, if you've not played golf down here in Texas, it's very different. Ground is very hard. Of course, it's very hot outside, and it just uh, is a different breed of golf. And um, this course in particular, TPC Craig Ranch, is uh, wrapped around the um, Craig Ranch neighborhood there in McKinney. It's a massive neighborhood. Uh, the Rowlett Creek crosses the course 14 times, so we had a little bit of creek in play, but um, the weather for this thing, um, well, we'll get into that in a second. The field, I would say it was above average. It's the week before a major championship, uh, of course, with the PGA Championship coming this weekend. Uh, seven out of the top 15 golfers in the world were out there. Uh, including Scotty Scheffler, Justin Thomas, Dustin Johnson. Uh, Xander Schauffele made his Byron Nelson debut <clears throat> along with uh, Tommy Fleetwood, Bubba Watson. Uh, Brooks Kepka was set to tee it up for the first time since the Masters, uh, but he um, ended up withdrawing on Wednesday before this thing got started for an unspecified reason. So not really sure what happened, but Kepka was supposed to be out there. Um, I highlighted the Texas boys in this one. Scotty Scheffler, Will Zalatoris, Ryan Palmer, and Jordan Spieth. I said keep an eye out for those four. Of course, uh, Scheffler and Spieth are from Dallas. Uh, Ryan Palmer's not from Dallas, but he is from Texas, I believe, Houston. And then Will Zalatoris currently lives in Dallas, so he's played this course many times. Uh, I highlighted those four guys as uh, players that <clears throat> I believed that would play really well. And uh, they three of them finished inside the top 15. 
uh, being Spieth, Palmer, and Scheffler, and then Zalatoris ended up missing the cut. But uh, we'll get into that in a second. The weather for this thing was spectacular. Uh, it was hotter than hell here in Dallas all weekend. It was mid to upper 90s. No no rain, no wind, uh, just scorching hot. All right, so um, the only thing that was a factor was uh, just the uh, temperature being in the upper 90s. Uh, but this thing, man, it started off with a bang. Uh, Sebastian Munoz came out in round one and shot a blistering 12-under round of 60, uh, which was actually his second round of 60 this season, and he became the first player in PGA Tour history to record two rounds of 60 in the same season. All right, and now he wasn't the only one to tear this thing apart. Um, through the first two rounds, there were 69 eagles, which was the most eagles in an event on record in the PGA Tour. And at one point during Sunday's final round, I saw the stat. I was watching the broadcast on CBS, and I saw this stat. There were still some holes to be played when this stat came across, but it said that the field collectively was. 1,002 strokes under par for the weekend. And like I said, this was probably <clears throat> around 2 or 3 o'clock on Sunday. So there was still a couple hours of golf to be played. I'd be willing to bet that the collective score was probably closer to 1,100 under par for the entire tournament, which is just uh, outrageous. Uh, we did see um, some other very low rounds. I mentioned Sebastian Munoz had an opening round of 60 um, Xander Schauffele on Sunday's final round had a round of 11 under 61. Uh, Hideki Matsuyama had a 10 under 62 on Sunday. Uh, James Hahn in the third round shot an 11 under 61 as well. So we saw, you know, multiple rounds that were between 60 and 62, um, which is just insane. Um, this, that, I mean, the course itself is nice, and if if any of us were to go play, we wouldn't certainly make it look as good as these guys did. These guys just made it look easy, and it's you know, just simply not the case. So that just tells you the high level of golf that was being played out there. But in the end, uh, K.H. Lee defended his title here at the Byron Nelson by winning uh, with a score of 26 under par. That's the lowest score we've seen in a long time, um, you know, since Cameron Smith put up a 30 under in uh, Hawaii a couple months ago, but uh, K.H. Lee won this event last year and uh, repeated again this year thanks to a 9 under 63 on Sunday. So he actually uh, was not in the lead after the third round, but uh, that 63 on Sunday uh, got him up there and um, with his back-to-back wins at the Byron Nelson K.H. Lee joined Tom Watson, Jack Nicholas, and Sam Snead as the only players in tour history to win the Byron Nelson back-to-back. It also moved him up 88 spots in the FedEx Cup rankings. So uh, Jordan Spieth, local kid here, I told you to highlight him. He was solo second at 25 under par, just one shot back. He played phenomenal golf all weekend. Uh, his lowest round was an 8 under 64 on third um, on Saturday. rather. <laughs> Hideki Matsuyama and Sebastian Munoz both tied for third at 24 under par. Uh, Xander Shoffley, Ryan Palmer, and Justin Thomas were all T5 at 23 under par, so three shots back. Uh, Shoffley, I mentioned with that 61 on Sunday. Ryan Palmer actually shot a 62, a 10 under 62 on uh, Friday's second round. 
So that kind of propo- uh, propelled him up there. And then Justin Thomas was very consistent all week. He went 68, 66, 64, and 67. So he played great golf just in time for the major, uh, where he figures to be a factor. Uh, Charles Schwartzel was solo eighth at 22 under par. And then three guys at T9 at 21 under par were Peter Malnati, Davis Riley, and James Hahn. All right, so uh, some bigger names near the top of the leaderboard there with Spieth, Matsuyama, Shafale, Thomas. Um, but uh, I meant the four Texas kids that I highlighted, you know, Jordan Spieth, Will Zalatoris, Scotty Scheffler. Uh, you know, Scheffler was T15 at 19 under par. So uh, even he played pretty well. So uh, those, those uh, the Texas guys did well. Uh, this weekend, and um, you know that was a good warm-up event. The course is certainly going to be uh, much harder this weekend as we move ahead to this weekend's tournament, which is our second major championship of the year. It is the PGA Championship that's held at the Southern Hills Country Club, which is in Tulsa, Oklahoma. All right, not too terribly far from McKinney. Uh, Southern Hills is a par seventy. Distance is 7,556 yards, all right? So it's a pretty long course. Uh, It's a par 70, so we are not going to see anywhere near the scores that we saw this past week at the Byron Nelson, all right? So uh, with a par 70, you know, it's probably somewhere in the neighborhood of about uh, 12 to 14 under maybe as a winning score, especially in a major championship. So uh, the course itself, Southern Hills, interesting note, it was not actually supposed to be the original host of the 2022 PGA Championship, uh, but they had to uh, make some um, arrangements on the schedule, and that is how Southern Hills ended up with it. But they have hosted uh, this event before. Um, The course only has two par fives on it, all right? And uh, both of them play at over 630 yards, all right, so massive par fives, Uh, there's only two, so it certainly gives you an opportunity to, uh, you know, get in the fairway and and make a, make an eagle is going to be tough on both of those at at 630 yards, but uh, the course itself is actually going to play about 300 yards longer than it did here in the PGA Championship back in 2007, all right, so it's 300 yards longer uh, this tournament usually is played in July or August. All right? It's usually a summer tournament instead of spring, so this is the first time that it has been played in May or a spring month. All right? Normally it's, it's scorching hot for the PGA Championship as it's played in the summer. Now, the field, I don't really need to get into it a whole lot because it's a major championship, so every top player in the world is going to be out there. Um, Phil Mickelson was set to tee it up this week, um, after his several month hiatus for you know all his personal reasons, but he actually withdrew this past week uh, for this thing. So he Phil Mickelson will not be participating this week. Uh, Tiger Woods will. All right, Tiger Woods, fresh off of his uh, made cut there at Augusta in the Masters uh, last month, uh, he's back in action and uh, he's been playing some practice rounds out there. So uh, we'll see how he does and how his leg holds up. Scotty Scheffler, obviously, number one in the world. He's looking to win back-to-back majors because he did win at Augusta. So uh, you can certainly pencil him in to be a factor. And then Brooks Kepka, I mentioned he withdrew last week at the Byron. He is a two-time winner of the PGA Championship, and he will be in the field this week. So he is looking for his third Wanamaker trophy. And then Bryson DeChambeau. 
Um, he had some wrist surgery about a month and a half ago, I think we'll say. Uh, he's actually making the trip to Tulsa this week, and uh, he's going to play some practice rounds and test it out to see if he is able to play. Uh, I do not think DeShambo would be a factor if he plays. Uh, he has won a U.S. Open, but I don't see him competing in this thing uh, with an injured wrist, so we'll see on that. But I mentioned this last week in the Around the Island segment, but I'll make another note since it we've arrived at the PGA Championship. ESPN's going to hold the broadcast uh, for at least the first couple rounds. Um, ESPN announced that Joe Buck is going to lead a Manning cast style broadcast during the PGA Championship this weekend. All right, so Joe Buck is going to co-host the show with Michael Collins, who's ESPN's golf insider. And uh, they'll have special guests on, like um, Peyton and Eli Manning will both be on there. Of course, if you watch Monday Night Football, you know the Manning cast is with Peyton and Eli, and they have guests on as they do the broadcast. Um, a few of the guests, uh, Fred Couples, Charles Charles Barkley, and then, of course, the Manning brothers are going to join Joe Buck and Michael Collins. So Joe Buck has previously done some golf stuff um, on Fox when they had the U.S. Open coverage from 2015 to 2019. So Joe Buck's no stranger to golf. Uh, I enjoy listening to him. And uh, this is the third year out of an 11-year contract with ESPN to, to televise the PGA Championship. So this will be the home of the PGA for the next uh, nine years. So, uh, But I'm looking forward to this weekend. Uh, major championships are always fun to watch. High-level golf, top players in the world, uh, challenging course, par 70. So that, um, that's gonna, that, that gives us all the makings of a fantastic golf weekend. So I know uh, despite all the playoff hockey and playoff basketball on, this weekend, I'm certainly going to be tuned in to the PGA Championship uh, and watch those guys uh, tear it up there at Southern Hills. But we'll move on to the playoff update portion of the show uh, between the NHL and the NBA playoffs. As I mentioned, uh, the NBA has made their way to their conference finals, whereas the NHL has moved into the second round of the playoffs. But uh, in the opening segment there, I mentioned that we had Game 7's galore this past weekend. We actually had seven Game 7's this weekend between the NHL and the NBA. Five of them were in the NHL playoffs. The other two came from the NBA. Now, the five Game 7's in the first round of the NHL playoffs out of the eight series meant that 62.5% of those first-round series went into a Game 7, which is just phenomenal. That's great for the sport, great for the fans. And then in the NBA, we didn't get our first Game 7 until the second round, uh, but we still had two out of the four series in the second round make it to Game 7. So it was a super entertaining weekend of both NHL and NBA playoff action. Now, there were four cities that had both a playoff team in the NHL and the NBA playoffs. Uh, Those cities were Dallas with the Stars and the Mavericks, Boston with the Bruins and the Celtics, uh, Minneapolis, St. Paul, which had the Minnesota Wild and the Minnesota Timberwolves, and then the city of Denver with the Nuggets and the Colorado Avalanche. All right, so there were four major cities with uh, a team in each of the playoffs. Um, The Nuggets and the Timberwolves on the NBA side got eliminated in the first round uh, on the NBA side. Um, But in the second round um, this weekend, the city of Dallas and the city of Boston both had 
both of their teams make it to Game 7s. Now, uh, Dallas, City of Dallas, became the first city ever to have two teams play in a Game 7 on the same day, which is very cool, very unique. That was on Sunday. Uh, the, the Mavericks played at you know 7 o'clock locally, and uh, the Stars played at 8.30 locally. So uh, it was tough to kind of bounce back and forth between the games, but um, that was very cool, very unique. As uh, somebody that lives in Dallas, is a Dallas sports fan, uh, that was very cool to be a part of. Now, the city of Boston also had two Game 7s, uh, the Celtics uh, and the Bruins. The Bruins actually played on Saturday, and the Celtics played on Sunday. So their games were not on the same days, uh, but uh, it, it was cool to see that two different cities both had Game 7s. Now, we'll start off this playoff uh, recap, but before we do, I, I do have to address this. You know, I've I've seen... This comes up every year. What's better, the NHL playoffs or the NBA playoffs? Now, when it comes to Game 7, a Game 7 is a Game 7. It's a winner-take-all. That's exciting either way. But there's just absolutely no way that the NBA playoffs are better than the NHL playoffs. If you watch hockey, you see the physicality, the fast pace, and just the pure skill that it takes to play that game. And uh, the competitive nature, the toughness of the players... Uh, it just the NHL is far superior to the NBA playoffs, uh, and you can fight me. I don't care. I, I'm just telling you, hockey playoffs are much more exciting than basketball playoffs, uh, even though both of them so far have, have given us everything we could have asked for. But I just wanted to squash that debate uh, because the NHL is far superior to the NBA when it comes to the playoffs. But starting in the NHL, we'll do our, our – finish up the first round recap. Um, I mentioned the five game sevens in the NHL's first round. It's actually the most game sevens ever in the first round of the playoffs and the second most game sevens in any round of the NHL playoffs. So a lot of good competitive stuff. <clears throat> when we left off last week, uh, all the series had played five games. All right. And uh, one of them had already been completed. All right. So in the Eastern Conference, the top overall seed Florida Panthers, they're playing second wild card Washington Capitals. All right. This series was uh, through five games after last week's episode. Uh, Florida was up uh, three games to two. Well, in game six, uh, came out, uh, actually went into overtime. Uh, and then in overtime, who else other than Carter Verhage for Florida scored in overtime to give the Panthers a 4 to 3 win and a 4 to 2 series victory? Uh, Verhage finished with. Uh, 12 points in the series, which is just uh, incredible. Um, he scored uh, in, in that overtime. Uh, Florida now, uh, that was their first playoff series victory since 1996. So we're talking 26 years since we've seen the Florida Panthers advance in the playoffs. Uh, actually, 9,478 days between Florida's last two playoff series wins, which... Uh, that's got to be uh, the most of all time. But um, to further hammer home the point about how long it's been, uh, the NHL's best player, Connor McDavid, he wasn't even born the last time the Florida Panthers uh, went into the second round. And at that time, there were only 26 teams in the NHL. Now there's 32. So it has been a hot minute since the Florida Panthers have made it into the second round. But such is the case with their 4-3 to overtime victory over Washington. 
uh, in this other series in the Eastern Conference Atlantic Division, number two seed Toronto Maple Leafs against number three seed Tampa Bay Lightning. When we left off last week, Toronto had a three to two series lead. Uh, went back to Toronto for um, well, it was in Tampa Bay in Game Six. Uh, this game went into overtime. All right, and huge game uh, here. Obviously, Lightning had it all on the line. Um, Braden Point buried a rebound uh, with just under two minutes left in overtime to give the Lightning a four to three victory in that game and even the series. Um, that overtime victory in Game Six for Tampa was their seventeenth consecutive win following a loss, uh, which is an NHL record. That was their third victory this series. Each of the first three games that they lost this series, they followed those up with victories. So uh, Tampa is tough to beat back-to-back. And then that brought us to Game 7, which was in Toronto. This was a low-scoring game. Early in the game, uh, Braden Point, the overtime hero from Game 6, one of Tampa Bay's best players, um, he ended up, Falling awkwardly, it looked like his right knee or leg kind of got caught as he was falling. It looked like he may have potentially torn something in his knee or broken his leg or something. He, he got up and skated off, which, again, hockey versus basketball. Basketball player would have laid there for hours on end until the ambulance came and got him. But uh, Braden Point got up and skated off the ice on one leg, literally used one leg to skate. Um, so that was a huge loss, but Tampa actually ended up winning that game 2-1, to one, all right? Uh, Nick Paul had both the goals for Tampa Bay in a huge Game 7 victory uh, to give the Lightning a series victory of four games to three. Um, no status update on Braden Point. All the reports that I've read just say lower body injury. Uh, I would be certain, based on how it looked, I'd be, sh- you know, I-, I would be certain that he's going to miss uh just based on appearance, based on the you know how it looked, that he'll miss the rest of the playoffs. But um, there's been no update. You know how hockey is; so their secrecy of the, of the injuries, uh, they basically keep that super close to the vest there, and uh, they diagnose it as upper body or lower body, and they don't even give a time frame. So who knows if we'll see Braden Point? But they managed to get by Toronto, which uh, Toronto they had a fantastic regular season. They were up 3-2 to two in the series and couldn't close the deal. Uh, they have not won a playoff series since 2004, all right? Uh, the Maple Leafs are officially cursed, and uh, they are officially the Dallas Cowboys of the National Hockey League. Now, I can only say that because I am a Cowboys fan, and uh, I share the same frustration as the Toronto Maple Leafs fans do when it comes to their team in the playoffs. So, uh, I saw a funny thing that said the biggest rivalry in hockey now is officially the Toronto Maple Leafs in the first round. Okay, which uh, the roster that the Maple Leafs have had uh, last couple years, this year particularly, Austin Matthews won the uh, Maurice Michard Trophy, most goals in the league uh, with 60 in the regular season. Uh, Mitch Marner, you know, John Tavares, that team's absolutely loaded. And they still can't get the job done with a 3-2 to two series lead. So, uh, I don't know what the Maple Leafs' problem is, but, um, yeah, it's, that's not good. Um, not good there in Toronto. The other Eastern Conference series, the Metropolitan Division winning Carolina Hurricanes, uh, they played the uh, first wildcard team, Boston Bruins, in the first round. Through five games in that one on last week's episode, Carolina led the series three games to two. All right, game six was back in Boston, and Boston took care of business on home ice with a 5-2 to two win to tie the series. And then in game seven, 
back in Raleigh, uh, Carolina ended up winning three to two to take that series, four games to three. Uh, this was Carolina's sixth straight game seven victory, which ties the most consecutive wins in a winner-take-all playoff game in NHL history. So uh, Carolina's been very good in game seven. They had a very good team all year. I'm not surprised to see them win. Uh, Boston did make it interesting late. They scored with under a minute left to make it three to two and almost buried another one uh, before the clock ran out. So that was a pretty exciting game there. And then the final series in the Eastern Conference was the uh, number two seed New York Rangers against the number three seed Pittsburgh Penguins uh, in the Metro Division. Uh, through five games, uh, we knew that Pittsburgh had a three to two series lead. Game six was back uh, was back in Pittsburgh chance to close out on home ice, and Pittsburgh could not get the job done. Uh, they were without uh, Sidney Crosby in that one. Uh, Rangers won 5-3 to three to tie the series. And then in Game 7, back at Madison Square Garden, all right, uh, Pittsburgh did get Sidney Crosby back into their lineup. They also had a surprise appearance from goalie Tristan Jari, who was their starting goalie, and come to find out he actually played in this game with a broken foot. All right, so that tells you, again, the toughness of the hockey players in comparison to the NBA. Uh, you would not see an NBA player playing on a broken foot. But uh, NHL, yep, the goalie, Tristan Jari, came out and um, on a broken foot. And he helped Pittsburgh get into overtime. All right, the Rangers, uh, was a, it was a close game back and forth. Mika Zibanejad uh, scored with about five or six minutes left in the third to tie it. And in overtime, Artemi Panarin uh, smashed home. Uh, the game-winning goal there for the Rangers to give them a 4-3 to victory in that game and a 4-3 to series victory to send the Blue Shirts into the second round. All right. Over in the Western Conference, uh, we knew the Colorado Avalanche had swept the Nashville Predators. They have not played since uh, that game four was on Monday, May 9th. All right. It's been a while since they've played the Avalanche. Um, the other Central Division series, number two, Minnesota, against number three, St. Louis. All right. Uh, this series, we knew through five games, St. Louis was up three games to two, and uh, they went into St. Paul there and uh, just demolished the Wild 5-1 to one in game six to take a 4-2 to two series victory. So St. Louis won there. The uh, Pacific Division Series, top seed Calgary Flames against my Dallas Stars. Uh, through five games, we talked about the goaltending, the low scoring, we knew Calgary was up three games to two. Game six was back here in Dallas, and uh, the Stars showed up and showed out. They got four goals, and uh, which was enough. Jake Ottinger only let two in, so Dallas won four to two, tied the series at three. And then game seven uh, was just a heartbreaker. It was back in Calgary. Uh, Dallas had two different leads of one goal each. Uh, game went into overtime, and in overtime, uh, a little over halfway through, Johnny Goudreau uh, scored uh, from basically the goal line in the corner on a weird shot that got by Jake Ottinger. Gives the Calgary Flames the 3-2 to two victory in Game 7 and a series victory as well. Um, Jake Ottinger, though, the story of this series was an absolute monster. He made 64 saves in that Game 7 overtime loss, and the Stars still lost. Uh, just the lack of offensive help that Jake Ottinger got uh, was the story of the series. Uh, obviously, his play was was the story too, but uh, the, the lack of offensive help. Jake Ottinger played his ass off. 
he, he led the first round with a save percentage of 954, which is actually the best save percentage in NHL playoff history by a goalie in a seven-game series. Uh, he faced 285 shots and only gave up 13 goals, which uh, allowed Dallas to have a chance in every single game. Their anemic offense and lack of depth really is what cost the Stars in this series. But, um, you know, it hurts me to say it. Calgary was the better team. Uh, Jake Ottinger was the best player in that series, but uh, he can't score the goals. He can stop them from going in, uh, but he cannot score. And had it not been for Jake Ottinger, Dallas probably would have had a four-game sweep on their hands. So Calgary advances there. Uh, the other series was in the Pacific was the number two Edmonton Oilers against the number three Los Angeles Kings. All right, uh, through five games, we knew that Los Angeles led the series three games to two. They went back home to try and close it out and were unable to do so. Edmonton came out and uh, won the game four to two, which sent it back to Edmonton for game seven. And uh, Rogers' place was bumping. Oilers came out and got a two to nothing victory uh, in Game Seven to give them a series victory there, and uh, Edmonton advances to the second round of the playoffs for the first time since 2017. Now we'll move into the second round preview, just to hit that. Uh, as of this recording, there have not been any games played. All right, in the second round, that will change. Obviously, by the time you listen to this, there will probably be one or two games played in each of these series, but we'll recap those on next week's episode. In the Eastern Conference, the Atlantic Division, Florida Panthers against the Tampa Bay Lightning. It is the Battle of Florida. All right, Florida Panthers are down in Miami. Of course, Tampa Bay is down uh, or is up in Tampa. So it's the Battle of Florida. Um, this series, I want to pick Tampa Bay. Uh, because I, I originally had picked them to win the Stanley Cup when I filled out my playoff bracket as a three-peat. Um, but Braden Point, if he's not in the lineup for uh, this entire series, which might be likely, you know, I, I, again, I don't know the severity of that injury. If Braden Point's healthy, I'm picking Tampa Bay. If Braden Point plays in more than three games, I'm I'm picking Tampa Bay. This is a caveat pick. But if Braden Point misses the series, I think – Florida is going to win. Um, we'll call it six games. Um, if Braden Point is out, I think Florida wins in six. Uh, but if Braden Point plays, I think Tampa wins in seven. All right. So I think it's, I can see the series going seven games either way, with or without Braden Point. Uh, Tampa still got enough depth and enough elite level talent to contend. I just think Braden Point's the X factor, and if you're missing one of your best players, I don't see how you can beat a team like Florida, who has been firing on all cylinders. So uh, again, if Point is out, give me the Panthers to win the series, and if Point plays uh, any portion of this series, I like Tampa to win. The other Eastern Conference series uh, is over in the Metro Division, the Carolina Hurricanes against the New York Rangers. Right? This is a very fascinating series. Uh, New York Rangers goalie Igor Shesterkin was a finalist for the Vesna Trophy and the Hart Trophy, I believe, as a league MVP. Uh, he played like complete shit in the first round of the playoffs, so uh, he's going to have to turn it around. Um, Carolina having home ice, I think, is a big advantage in this series. Uh, I like the Carolina Hurricanes to win this series in uh, six games. All right, I, I think New York, um, they're good. But I don't think they're as good as Carolina is, all right? Carolina has been dominant all year, 
and uh, I like the Hurricanes to beat the Rangers in six games. Over in the Western Conference, the two series, the Central Division Series is Colorado versus St. Louis. <clears throat> All right, These are the two, two of the three series that did not make it to a Game 7. Both of these teams have had some extended time off. Like I mentioned, Colorado has not played their game uh, played in a game since Monday, May 9th. All right, so by the time they get this series started, uh, it will have been a, a full week and a half since they will have played. And then uh, St. Louis, they haven't played since Thursday, May 12th, so a little closer, but it's still, by the time this series gets started, it will have been about a week. All right, so they might be a little more fresh. Uh, but I think both teams, uh, the St. Louis Blues and the Colorado Avalanche, I think both of them will have some effects of an extended layoff, uh, more so Colorado than St. Louis. But um, I did not pick the St. Louis Blues to be in this second round, so I'm not picking them to beat Colorado, all right? I, I believe the Avalanche, they've obviously been the best team in the Western Conference all season long. Uh, they swept their first-round series. Give me the Avalanche to beat the Blues in six games, all right? Now, I will say, because of Colorado's extended layoff, I would not be surprised if St. Louis came out and won game one, all right? But I do think Colorado is going to win this series, so give me the avalanche to win that. And then the other series in the Western Conference is the Pacific Division Series. It's the Calgary Flames and the Edmonton Oilers. It is the Battle of Alberta, all right? In the Eastern Conference, we have the Battle of Florida. Western Conference, we have the Battle of Alberta. Now, uh, Calgary, again, fresh off their dramatic Game 7 victory uh, over the Stars against the Oilers, who also had a Game 7 victory of their own. Uh, this series, uh, much like the, the Calgary-Dallas series, uh, has the propensity to be a very low-scoring series. All right, uh, Edmonton Oilers goalie Mike Smith had two shutouts in the first round, which led the NHL there. And then Jacob Markstrom, the goalie for the Flames, uh, he and Jake Ottinger were one and two uh, in every goaltending category there was in the first round. Uh, Markstrom led uh, led the NHL in goals against average in the first round. So uh, two very good goaltenders, um, two offenses that can score. All right, Edmonton I think is more skilled just because they have Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl, uh, but Calgary I think is the better overall team. They're certainly more physical, and uh, they have home ice. All right, the teams don't have to travel very far uh, to go to each other's uh, arenas, but uh, I, I like the Flames in this one. This one's, I think this is going to go seven. All right, uh, I think Calgary is going to win in seven games, uh, but I think this is going to be a good series. It's going to be fast, it's going to be hard hitting, and I do think it'll be relatively low scoring. I would say this will probably be the lowest scoring series that we see in the second round. So uh, we'll have to see. Uh, I just gave you my predictions for the second round. I went 7-1 and one in my first round predictions, with the only incorrect pick being um, the St. Louis-Minnesota series in the Western Conference. I picked the Wild when, in fact, the Blues won. So uh, we'll see how I do in the second round, but I'm very much looking forward to another exciting uh, second round of the playoffs here, just like we saw in the first round. Uh, we have eight very good teams still in the mix uh, for the Stanley Cup, and uh, I'll be sure and uh, watch as much playoff hockey as possible. But we'll segue over to the NBA and do a playoff update here in the NBA. Uh, the second round series have all concluded. We've made our way to the conference finals, but uh, we'll just finish our recap of the second round. 
I mentioned earlier there were, uh, of the four second-round series, two of them went to Game 7, so not quite uh, the excitement and the drama that we saw in the NHL's first round. Uh, but nonetheless, these were the first two Game 7s of the NBA playoffs. We'll start off the recap. Uh, I think uh, on last week's episode, all series were through five games, just like we did in the NHL. So in the Eastern Conference, the top overall seed was the Miami Heat. They played the number four seed, Philadelphia 76ers. Uh, Miami was up three games to two when we last left off after they dominated game five, uh, winning by 35 points. They won 120 to 85. So that brought us to game six. It was in Philly. Uh, You were expecting a big uh, rebound performance by the 76ers, and that just did not happen. Uh, Miami ended up winning game six, 99 to 90. Um, Philadelphia, they got James Harden, right? Uh, They traded for James Harden, uh, gave up Ben Simmons and pretty much the farm in order to get him, uh, Harden that is, and uh, Harden basically went missing. Uh, in the playoffs, especially this series. So uh, Philadelphia probably needs to put an APB out for James Harden because uh, that man is nowhere to be found. Uh, The dude had 11 points in game six. When they needed him most, he scored 11 points. That's 11 more points than I had in that game. All right, so uh, not exactly what you were wanting to see out of James Harden and the 76ers. So Miami won that series uh, four games to two. The other series uh, was the number in the Eastern Conference was the number two Boston Celtics against the number three Milwaukee Bucks. Now this series was one of the two that went to Game Seven. Uh, when we last left off, Game Five, Milwaukee had won that one uh, in Boston, and so they had a three to two series lead. Game Six was back in Milwaukee, chance for the Bucks to close it out. And the Celtics came alive in that one. Uh, They won that one uh, by 13 points. Uh, 108 to 95 was that score. So Boston sent it to uh, game seven. Now, after that game six, pretty scary scene there in downtown Milwaukee, right outside Fiserv Arena, uh, or the Deer District, as it's known by. Uh, There was uh, some gunshots that rang out. Uh, basically, a couple different groups of people started shooting at each other. Uh, all in all, there were 21 people injured in that shooting. Luckily, nobody was killed, but a pretty scary scene there that wiped out all of the watch parties in downtown Milwaukee, uh, public watch parties, that is, uh, for Game 7, which was back in Boston. And again, you're figuring, okay, this was this was on Sunday afternoon, uh, prime spot, middle of the day, and uh, Boston just completely dominated this one as well. You were thinking that Milwaukee was going to you know, make it a close game, and it, it was until uh, that second half. Boston really pulled away, uh, outscored them by 23 points in that second half to uh, pull away to a 109-81 to victory that was not particularly close. Uh, Boston hit a Game 7 record 22 three-pointers in that game. Uh, 23 points from Jason Tatum. That's kind of a ho-hum game for him. And then Grant Williams set a new career high in points with 27. So uh, Boston eliminated the defending NBA champion Milwaukee Bucks in seven games. And that gives us our Eastern Conference final matchup that we'll get into shortly. Over in the Western Conference, the top overall seed, Uh, Phoenix Suns 
uh, played the number four seed Dallas Mavericks. And when we left off last week, Phoenix was up in that series three games to two after a dominating game five performance at home. The series went back to Dallas, and uh, Mavericks ended up taking care of business there, 113-86, to another 30-point performance from Luka Doncic. The Mavericks were just a, a different team at home and have been really all year, uh, specifically in this series. Uh, 113-86 to there, Game 6 went to the Mavericks, tied the series at 3. Um, so that meant that the home team in this series had won every single game thus far, went back to Phoenix for Game 7. Now, this Game 7... All right, was just an absolute bludgeoning by the Mavericks. Um, I, I watched this game. I'm sure most of you basketball fans had it on. Uh, the Mavericks were up by 30, 30 points at halftime. Luka had 27 points at halftime, which is exactly the total number of points scored by the entire Suns team in that first half. Uh, they were up 57 to 27 at halftime, the Mavericks were. And the lead got up to almost 50 points at one point. It was uh, up to 40-something points quickly into that second half. Uh, Luka Doncic finished with 35 points, and he didn't play a second in that fourth quarter. Uh, Spencer Dinwiddie finally have a Dinwiddie sighting uh, in the series, and he showed up with 30 points, hit some big shots there. And uh, it was pretty apparent early on in his first couple of minutes that he was going to be a factor. Uh, in fact, with Luka having 35 and Spencer Dinwiddie having 30, uh, Doncic and Dinwiddie became the first pair of teammates since Shaquille O'Neal and Kobe Bryant in 2002 to have 30, each have 30 points uh, in a Game 7 playoff game. So uh, Dallas went on to win 123-90. to 90. All right, so it was a 33-point victory. That was the final margin. But like I said, it got it got up into the 40s at one point in that third quarter. Um, so Dallas ended up winning the series, uh, beating Phoenix in seven games. Just a complete monster performance by Luka Doncic. He averaged 32 points, almost 10 rebounds, and seven assists per game in the series. And in fact, Luka Doncic, he actually, in this series... He had more points than Devin Booker, more rebounds than DeAndre Ayton, more assists than Chris Paul, and more steals than Mikhail Bridges. So he was all over the floor, both ends, getting it done. And obviously, uh, he is a top two or three player in the league. The only player that I think in, that's in the league right now that might be better than Luka Doncic is Giannis Antetokounmpo, and he just got eliminated. So Luka Doncic is very clearly the best player in the NBA that's remaining in the playoffs. All right, So the Mavericks uh, advanced to the Western Conference Finals. Uh, their opponent was uh, decided in the series between the number two Memphis Grizzlies and the number three Golden State Warriors. All right. Uh, this well, I actually knew their opponent before because this series was only six games. So in game five, uh, you know, remember game four was when Ja Morant got hurt. Uh, he was deemed out for the rest of the playoffs. Memphis responded, though, in game five by winning 134 to 95. Just an absolute beat down there. Uh, that brought the series three games to two. Golden State was still in the lead there. And then game six was back uh, in Oakland. And. Uh, the Warriors took care of business there uh, with a 110-96 to victory in that game. So Golden State also advanced 
uh, to the conference finals. That seems to be kind of a mainstay of where they've been um, here in the last several years. And now uh, looking at the conference finals, uh, we'll take a look here and do our predictions. Now, much like the NHL, when I did that prediction for the second round, uh, there have not been any games played in the conference finals as of this recording, but I wanted to get these on record, uh, even though by the time you listen to this podcast, there will have been uh, several games played probably. Um, But we'll start off in the Eastern Conference. The top two seeds in the Eastern Conference, the Miami Heat and the Boston Celtics, one and two respectively, have made it to the Eastern Conference Finals, uh, something that we see far more prevalent on the NBA side of the playoffs instead of the NHL side where it's far more likely to see a lower seed advance. Uh, But the Eastern Conference, uh, we have number one Miami against number two Boston. Uh, Interesting note about this series, for Boston, this is their 37th Eastern Conference Finals appearance in franchise history which means that they have now played in exactly half of the Eastern Conference Finals ever played. So very impressive stuff there for Boston. Uh, Their resume to get here, they swept the Brooklyn Nets in the first round, which was very surprising, and then they just dispatched the defending NBA champion Milwaukee Bucks in seven games. And Miami Heat's road to get here, they beat the Atlanta Hawks in five games and the Philadelphia 76ers in six games. Uh, Pretty impressive stuff there in the second round for Miami against Philadelphia. I would certainly say that Boston's road to get here has been far more impressive, uh, beating Brooklyn and the Bucks of Milwaukee. Uh, But uh, Miami can score. Uh, Jimmy Butler's been on another level. Uh, Of course, they have uh, Kyle Lowry, Tyler Hero, Bam Adebayo. I mean, their lineup is good. They have a lot of good players. And then Boston, same thing. Jason Tatum, probably a top uh, seven, eight player in the league. Uh, can score. He can drop 50 at any any given night. Um, very good with the, with the basketball. Of course, you got Jalen Brown. And then Marcus Smart as uh, the defensive player of the year in the NBA. So it's going to be a good series. Uh, Eastern Conference, uh, Miami has home court advantage, uh, being the number one seed. So... Uh, I can see, I can really see the series going either way. Um, I, I, you know, the final four teams in the NBA, uh, I don't think any one of them particularly stand out head and shoulders above the other. Um, I think Boston, just because of their more impressive resume to get here, I am going to take the Boston Celtics to beat the Miami Heat. But I think this series, um, I think it goes, we'll, we'll call it six games in the East. I think Celtics will take care of the Heat in six games, uh, finish it off on their home court there in game six and um, move on to the NBA finals. And then on the Western Conference side of things, it's the number three Golden State Warriors against the number four seeded Dallas Mavericks. My hometown, Dallas Mavericks, uh, very impressive uh, resume to get here. They beat the Utah Jazz in six games and uh, beat the top overall seed in the entire playoffs, the Phoenix Suns, in seven games. And the Golden State Warriors, Uh, They beat the Denver Nuggets in five games and the Memphis Grizzlies in six games. So that is their road to get there. Obviously, Golden State, Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, Draymond Green. That duo has been through the ringer when it comes to the playoffs. They are battle-tested. They are proven. They have two trophies to their name. And then they have this 
young star that has blossomed in the playoffs by the name of Jordan Poole. Uh, he, he can drop 30 on you on any given night in addition to what Steph and Clay do. Uh, so they're going to put up some points. Uh, the problem that they're going to run into is the Dallas Mavericks defense. That defense travels, and uh, the Mavericks have stifled the likes of Donovan Mitchell, uh, Devin Booker, Chris Paul. Uh, they've made it look real, re- uh, relatively easy, so to speak, uh, the Mavericks have. you know. Um, and then, of course, they have the best player in the playoffs at this particular moment in time in Luka Doncic. So if, if Doncic, again, the key to the Mavericks is to play good defense and to get your secondary scoring. And that comes via, you know, Jalen Brunson uh, or Spencer Dinwiddie. And then other role players such as Reggie Bullock or Dorian Finney-Smith. Those guys are capable of hitting five or six threes in a game uh, by themselves. So if Dallas can get their secondary scoring uh, and play that lockdown defense like we've seen so far, uh, there's no reason to believe they can't, uh, then I like the Dallas Mavericks. And I am actually going to take the Dallas Mavericks to beat the Golden State Warriors in this series in seven games, all right? Uh, This is Dallas's first Western Conference final appearance since the 2011 season, which is when they won it all, all right? Uh, Now, you'll notice the Warriors are a three seed. The Mavericks are a four seed. Um, This is the first time since 2011 that neither a number one or number two seed has made it to the Western Conference finals, all right? So the last time we saw... Uh, a non one two matchup or non one or two seed in the conference finals in the West was the year the Mavericks won the championship, which was also the last time that they've made it to this point in the playoffs. So um, history would tell you, continuing on that trend, that the Mavericks are going to win. Uh, their defense would tell you that they're going to win uh, because defense wins championships, right? But uh, they do need to score and. Uh, I think they obviously proved that they can score with the best because they they beat Phoenix and they beat Utah, who's capable of of scoring at will. So um, I believe the Dallas Mavericks will win the series in seven games and play the Boston Celtics in the NBA Finals. So uh, both series are going to be very good. And like I said, uh, by the time you listen to this episode, it'll probably be a couple games deep in each series, but we'll recap uh, the first several games of each series on next week's episode. But uh, we'll move over to Major League Baseball and do a standings update here. Uh, In the interest of time for this episode, we kind of had an extended playoff update and preview in the NHL and the NBA. It took up a lot of time, so we'll we'll keep the standings update kind of abbreviated here in Major League Baseball. We're only about 38 games into the regular season as it sits right now. Uh, Not a whole lot of movement in the standings from last week, so we'll just go ahead and recap kind of how things in the last week went down in the uh, National League. The NL East uh, is still, it is the biggest lead in baseball still. The New York Mets uh, have a six-game lead on the Miami Marlins, uh, who have won a couple games in a row. Uh, Philadelphia, Atlanta, and Washington is how the rest of those standings play out. Uh, Miami and Philadelphia are both six games back of the Mets, all right? So there's a little little cushion there for the Mets. In the National League Central, quite a bit here to talk about with this division over the last week. The Milwaukee Brewers still lead that division uh, by two and a half games over the St. Louis Cardinals, all right? Cardinals 
two and a half games behind the Brewers. Now with the Cardinals this past week, uh, Adam Wainwright, the starting pitcher for the Cardinals, has been for a long time. He won his most recent start, and the catcher, of course, was Yadier Molina. And, uh, of course, in baseball, the pitcher and the catcher tandem is called the battery. And uh, with Adam Wainwright's victory the other day, uh, Adam Wainwright and Yadier Molina are now the winningest battery in Major League Baseball history with 203 victories together. So pretty impressive. Both of those guys have been uh, on the Cardinals for a long time and uh, been very good, very successful, obviously, with over 200 victories now, uh, which is the most in MLB history. Uh, The Chicago Cubs are actually... uh, the hottest team in baseball currently at the moment with a four-game winning streak. They're third in the Central. They're seven games back. Uh, Pittsburgh Pirates are down to fourth. Uh, They're seven and a half games back of the Brewers. Now, the Cincinnati Reds, uh, they've finally eclipsed the 10-win mark uh, on the year. They're dead last in the Central, all right, Uh, 12 and a half games back of the Brewers. Now, uh, these two teams, Cincinnati and Pittsburgh, all right, <clears throat> we got a little situation going on with these two teams. Uh, they played each other the other day, okay, uh, Cincinnati and, and Pittsburgh. And Cincinnati Reds rookie pitcher Hunter Green and relief pitcher Art Warren, they combined to throw a no-hitter. Uh, this game was over the weekend, this past weekend. It was the second combined no-hitter we've seen this season. The Mets had one earlier, uh, and then, of course, uh, Angels, Reed Detmers had a, an individual no-hitter last week that we discussed but uh so hunter green and art warren combined to throw a no hitter for the cincinnati reds all right and that being said cincinnati lost that game one to nothing okay uh, they threw a combined no hitter and still lost one to nothing now uh, the reds they walked three batters in the eighth and then had a ground out to allow a run to score which gave pittsburgh a one nothing lead that they would hold on to to win uh, that loss by Cincinnati made them the first team uh, since the 2008 Los Angeles Angels to lose a game without allowing a hit. All right, just uh, not even sure how you can do that. But on the flip side of that, the Pittsburgh Pirates, okay, they became the sixth team in Major League Baseball history to win a game despite not getting any hits in the game. All right, and then the next two games, the Pirates. They proceeded to lose their next two games, uh, nine to nothing and seven to nothing. So they they beat the Reds one to nothing and then lost their next two games by a combined score of fifteen to nothing. Which means that in that three game stretch, they scored one run, and it came in a game that they didn't even record a hit. All right, so just um, that's astounding. Um, just some absolutely horrid baseball being played there in the NL Central with those two teams. Um, Not even sure you could make that up, but uh, that is what happened there in the National League Central this past week. Uh, Over in the National League West, the Los Angeles Dodgers, uh, they're 24-12. and They have a one-game lead on the uh, San Diego Padres. All right, the Dodgers have currently won four in a row. Padres have won two in a row. And the San Francisco Giants, are third in the NL West currently. They've won eight out of their last ten. They're only two games back of the Dodgers. All right, so those top three teams, that's probably going to be your top three in any order uh, at the end of the season. 
And then the bottom two teams in the NL West, the Arizona Diamondbacks and Colorado Rockies. All right, both of those teams are seven games behind the Dodgers. Uh, the Diamondbacks have lost five in a row. Rockies have lost three in a row. All right, so uh, just not not good news for the Dodgers either. Uh, pitcher Clayton Kershaw, he was placed on injured reserve list with uh, inflammation to his right SI joint, which connects the spine to the hip. Obviously very important for pitchers. So we'll see how long he's out, but um, Dodgers obviously still have a good enough rotation and a good enough lineup to kind of overcome that. So we'll, uh, we'll keep you updated there. Uh, over in the American League, the American League East is your current uh, largest division lead in the American League at five and a half games. The New York Yankees, um, they have a five and a half game lead over the Tampa Bay Rays. All right. So uh, they're quite a quite a bit, bit of lead there. Uh, the Toronto Blue Jays are third in the AL East. They're seven and a half games back of the Yankees. They have eclipsed the 20 win mark. Um, you know, I've been high on Toronto uh, and I just it's been a little disappointing thus far. All right, um, Vlad Guerrero isn't quite on the level he was last year, <clears throat> which has impacted their um, their lineup. But the Boston Red Sox have moved out of the cellar of the AL East. They're up to fourth. Uh, and then the Baltimore Orioles are a half game behind the Red Sox in last place in the AL East. Now, in the American League Central, all right, the uh, Minnesota Twins currently have a two-and-a-half game lead on the Chicago White Sox. All right, uh, Cleveland Guardians are right behind them uh, at three-and-a-half games behind Minnesota, just a game behind Chicago. And then Kansas City, uh, the Royals, uh, and the Detroit Tigers are seven-and-eight games behind Minnesota, respectively. So they have some work to do. Um, the Royals and Tigers both have 13 wins which is the fewest in the American League, uh, one behind Baltimore currently. And then in the American League West, uh, this this division, uh, the Angels have been playing absolutely outstanding uh, so far this year. Um, but the Houston Astros came roaring in this week. Uh, over the past week and a half, they, they had a winning streak of 11 games, all right? Uh, they lost one um, or lost a couple and then one, finally. They've won eight out of their last ten, but they did go on an 11-game winning streak. Uh, they're currently atop the AL West, but they only have a one-game lead over the Los Angeles Angels. Now, let me pause with Houston right here. In a game this, this, this week against the Boston Red Sox, the Houston Astros hit five home runs in one inning against the Red Sox. It was the second inning. Uh, top of the second, Houston hit five home runs, which tied a major league record for the most home runs in one inning. Now, on the flip side of that, Boston pitcher Nathan Eovaldi became the third pitcher in MLB history to allow five home runs in an inning. That is just absolutely horrendous. And uh, interesting note about that game, of those five home runs that were hit in the top of the second, there was one particular fan at Fenway Park who was sitting on top of the Green Monster. He actually caught two of those five home run balls. Same fan caught two home run balls in that game, which... I don't know what the odds are on that. I'm not great at the whole probability and statistics thing, but uh, I would tell you that the odds of catching two home run balls while sitting in the same seat uh, are probably very, very high. Um, not likely to happen. So pretty interesting fact there. <clears throat> um, but 
to tell you how good the Angels have been, like I said, Houston won 11 games in a row, but they only have a one-game lead on the Angels, all right? Uh, Angels have lost a couple in a row, but uh, they're still playing lights out. Uh, Pitcher-slash-designated hitter Shohei Otani, he hit his 100th career home run over the past weekend, which made him only the second player in Major League Baseball history to have at least a 100 home runs as a batter while having at least 250 strikeouts as a pitcher. All right, so very interesting. Of course, he's your reigning AL MVP uh, for good measure. Uh, my Texas Rangers, they have climbed up to third in the AL West. They're seven games back of Houston, all right, so uh, still a ways to go, uh, but they've won three games in a row. Uh, I, I mentioned the pitching, all right. I've talked about how their pitching has been kind of their their crutch this year, uh, but Martin Perez has quietly become the ace pitcher that the Rangers have needed. Uh, in his last five starts, Perez has gone at least six innings without allowing more than one earned run. His ERA on the season is 2.02, and his whip is 1.02, so very impressive stuff there. Of course, Dane Dunning has looked really good as well at times for the Rangers. Uh, the lineup can score runs, and, um, you know, like I said, they're fun to watch. Uh, they really are. And uh, I'm certainly tuning into more Rangers games this year than I have uh, in the last couple of years. Uh, but they are definitely uh, viewable at this time. Fourth in the AL West is the Seattle Mariners. They're very disappointing this year. I was super high on them to start the year, and they have just fallen flat on their face. They're eight games back of Houston, uh, not looking likely that they're going to make a push here. Um, Robbie Ray has not had the encore season to his AL Cy Young season that he had last year, uh, so he's going to need to step up if the Mariners want any chance to make the playoffs. And then last in the AL West is the Oakland A's, all right? So they're nine games back of the Astros. So uh, like I said, about 38 games in, a lot of baseball to be played. I just wanted to hit the abbreviated standings update uh, this week, and we'll kind of dive a little deeper next week. But we'll move on to our segment called Around the Island. And by now, if you're not familiar with this, this is basically some quick news topics from around all of the various sports. Uh, we've got pretty much all of the uh, four major pro sports covered in this week's edition of Around the Island. So we're going to start off in the National Football League. Last week, I mentioned that the NFL's schedule was in the process of being released. The NFL likes to make it some big process instead of just releasing the entire schedule at once. They do it in kind of bits and pieces. Uh, your opponents get released, uh, your home and away games, and then they'll release some specific uh, primetime games, and then they'll finally release the entire schedule. Well, that is exactly what happened this past week. <clears throat> All right. The official schedules for every team have been released, and, um, you know, I, I'm not going to go through the schedules, obviously, but uh, just to highlight, you know, my team, the Dallas Cowboys, a lot of you listening are probably Cowboys fans, or at least some of you are. Um, we got a tough, uh, tough first few games. In those first three weeks, or five weeks, rather, first five weeks, we play three Pro Bowl quarterbacks. Uh, they got Tom Brady and Joe Burrow the first two weeks of the year, and then again in week five, I believe it's week five, they have uh, Matt Stafford and the L.A. Rams. So uh, it's going to be a pretty difficult schedule. Luckily for the Cowboys, they play the AFC South, so we'll get to uh, we'll get to play against uh, Jacksonville and Houston, uh, in addition to our you know two games each against the uh, the Giants, Commanders, and uh, Eagles. So 
Um, looking at it, I would I would like to think the Cowboys can go ten and seven, uh, but we'll have more on that as we move closer to the NFL season with the predictions. Uh, the main the main piece of this segment was that um, to let you know that the NFL schedules have officially been released, so you can look your favorite team up and see their schedule if you've not done so already. Uh, but some troubling news out of Denver. Uh, Broncos wide receiver Jerry Judy was arrested last week by the Arapahoe County Sheriff's Office in Colorado uh, on a charge of second-degree criminal tampering with a domestic violence enhancer. All right, He's since been released on bond, uh, but he is almost certainly going to fall victim to the NFL's personal conduct policy, or he should at least. So uh, I would expect a, a several-game suspension for Jerry Judy of course, the, the personal conduct policy does not have to coincide with the legal proceedings as far as a conviction. Uh, case in point by Cowboys running back Ezekiel Elliott, I think it was three or four years ago, uh, four seasons ago perhaps, where he was suspended the first six games. Um, you know, I think Jerry Judy's certainly going to have to answer to that. Uh, but that's a big blow for that Broncos offense because – uh, Jerry Judy was reportedly forming a great connection with new quarterback Russell Wilson in their off-season workouts. So it'll be interesting to see if or how long the suspension uh, is for Jerry Judy. Now, there's not been any word of a suspension, but that won't happen until we get closer to the actual season. Um, continuing on that theme of bad news, uh, free agent running back Tariq Cohen. All right, spent three years with the Chicago Bears, kind of made himself a little niche, good role player, suffered a torn ACL within the first couple weeks last season, ended up getting released by the Bears due to his injury history, recovered from his ACL injury, and was uh, had a live stream on social media going of a workout he was doing. And on that live stream, he actually tore his Achilles tendon in that workout uh, while he was backpedaling. So... A tough break for Tariq Cohen. He's obviously not going to play this year, uh, which would mean that he's not going to get signed. He's he's a free agent uh, currently, so uh, he looks like his career is certainly in jeopardy after that. Uh, but a feel-good story from the NFL uh, after those two uh, Debbie Downer stories. New York Giants rookie uh, defensive end Kayvon Thibodeau. He was the number five overall pick. He was number five at the University of Oregon with his jersey number. Uh, he paid Giants kicker Graham Gano $50,000 for his jersey, number five, because Graham Gano was number five. But he paid uh, the rookie, Kayvon Thibodeau, paid Graham Gano fifty grand uh, for that number five jersey number that he wore at Oregon. Uh, Graham Gano then turned around and donated all of that money to the Puppies Behind Bars Foundation, which uh, provides service dogs for wounded war veterans and first responders. And... As a first responder myself, I can certainly appreciate Graham Gano's efforts. I think that that is certainly a worthwhile cause, and uh, certainly um, he could have kept the money, but he chose to do that. So a uh, very cool act of kindness there by Graham Gano. Uh, we'll move over to some free agent signings. There's been a few noteworthy signings. Uh, wide receiver Jarvis Landry signed a one-year, $3 million deal with the New Orleans Saints. Of course, if you recall, he played his college football at LSU, uh, along with Tyron Matthew, safety, who had signed with the Saints a few weeks ago. So both of those guys are in for a little homecoming here uh, in New Orleans. Uh, defensive end Melvin Ingram uh, played on the – he got traded to Pittsburgh 
uh, or from Pittsburgh to Kansas City last year. Uh, he has signed a deal with the Miami Dolphins. All right, he joins uh, Emmanuel Ogba, Jalen Phillips, who was a first-round pick from a year ago, and Andrew Van Ginkle as Miami's defensive ends. Now, what's important about that is that Miami's sack rate last year was 7.3%, uh, which ranked seventh in the league. So uh, adding Melvin Ingram to the seventh-best sacking team in the league certainly uh, only does nothing but improve that. Uh, free agent running back Philip Lindsay. He has agreed to a one-year deal with the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, this is his third team in the last three seasons. Of course, he was on the Denver Broncos, played last year in the Houston Texans. Now he is on the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, he certainly will be behind Jonathan Taylor on that depth chart, but um, he is a good role player, uh, certainly capable of handling a starting load if Jonathan Taylor were to go down. And then Last week, I mentioned uh, the New York Giants had released cornerback James Bradbury, all right, Pro Bowl corner, very solid player, uh, save him some cap money. Well, he signed a one-year, $10 million deal with the Philadelphia Eagles, so he just moved right down the road in that NFC East from New York to Philly. This is a fantastic signing by the Eagles, which pains me to say because uh, I absolutely despise Philadelphia. Uh, they now have two Pro Bowl cornerbacks, Darius Slay and James Bradbury, as their top two corners. Uh, Philadelphia is for real. And if you're asking me who the best team in the NFC East is on paper, my heart would tell you Dallas. Um, but with the, the moves in the draft and the trade to get A.J. Brown and now this signing of James Bradbury, I'm starting to think that Philadelphia not only has closed that gap between them and Dallas, uh, but they may have actually surpassed them in terms of roster on paper. So, uh, keep an eye on the Eagles. Uh, Green Bay Packers cornerback Jair Alexander, he has agreed to a four-year, $84 million contract extension. That is just preposterous. $21 million a year makes him the highest de highest paid defensive back in the NFL. He uh, has a salary cap hit of $31 million this upcoming year in 2022, and he also got a $30 million signing bonus. So, some huge money there for Jair Alexander. He certainly is one of the top few corners in the league. Uh, he's paid as the best, so uh, he will have to back that up this year on a uh, Green Bay defense that is rapidly improving, uh, especially through the draft. Uh, former New Orleans Saints head coach Sean Payton. He has been hired by Fox Sports as an in-studio analyst for Fox uh, pre- and post-game NFL shows for this upcoming season. Uh, of course, you remember Sean Payton stepped away from coaching about four months ago, and uh, he was rumored to possibly sign with Amazon, uh, but he ended up signing with Fox, so he will be doing the pre- and post-game shows as an analyst. That seems to be the common theme, these high-profile players and coaches moving over into the TV broadcast booth. Uh, we saw Drew Brees do it this past season in his first year of retirement, and then I mentioned, I think it was last that week's episode, Tom Brady, uh, has agreed to a deal with Fox as well for when he retires. Uh, we'll shift gears here over to the National Hockey League. Uh, another head coach bit the dust this week. Uh, Vegas Golden Knights, they have fired head coach Pete DeBoer. He was their second coach in franchise history uh, after being hired in January of 2020. His record with the Vegas Golden Knights in his tenure was 98-50-12. Pretty solid Uh Pretty good winning percentage there. This was Vegas' fourth season in the league, and it was actually the first time that they did not make the playoffs. So uh, they have a very good team, a lot of good players, 
Uh, it's going to be an enticing job, so I'm curious to see who Vegas chooses to replace uh, Pete DeBoer. Uh, another coach got hired, or promoted, rather. Um, after firing head coach Barry Trotz last week, the New York Islanders, they have officially hired Lane Lambert as their new head coach. Now, Lambert spent the past four seasons as the Islanders' assistant coach, or one of them. Prior to that, he had spent the previous four years as a Washington Capitals assistant coach. So he does not have head coaching experience in the NHL, but clearly the Islanders feel comfortable enough to promote him to their head coaching spot. Um, some other news, we did have a retirement again in the NHL last week. It was Patrick Marlowe. Uh, this week is um, Los Angeles Kings forward Dustin Brown. Dustin Brown has announced his retirement from the NHL after 18 seasons in the league. He was a two-time Stanley Cup champion with the Kings and finished with a career 712 points in 1,296 games played. All right, he was the captain of the L.A. Kings for a long time, uh, including their trips to the Stanley Cup Finals. Um, I don't know if that's going to be enough to get him into the Hall of Fame, but certainly longevity and uh, two Stanley Cup trophies should uh, certainly help his case. Now, I've mentioned this story before about the Arizona Coyotes. This thing has just gone from bad to worse. Uh, basically, the Coyotes are moving out of Glendale. They're going to currently play next season in Tempe, Arizona, which is the home of Arizona State University. They're going to be using Arizona State's uh, ice rink for their hockey team as their home rink. Um, but you know, The seating capacity for that thing is only about 5,000. So that was bad news as it was. But this week it was announced that not only are they going to have to play in that rink this year until their new one is built, they're not even going to be allowed to have their Arizona Coyotes team logo at center ice uh, for the games. All on-ice advertising, including that on the boards, uh, is a source of revenue for Arizona State University itself, um, which includes the center ice logo. So Coyotes are playing in a college rink uh, with college seating capacity with the, basically no approval to use anything of their own. All right, so um, it's kind of a, you know, the Coyotes, they weren't really averaging uh, a lot of attendance to begin with, uh, so maybe it'll look more full with only 5,000 seats there. But, uh, yeah, this, you know, hopefully it's, uh, they fit, you know, they get their arena built. It's probably going to take at least a season or two for them to uh, get that new venue built. But uh, that Coyotes franchise is is uh, is going down the drain, uh, just not – you know, outside of being in Arizona, it's not really not a franchise you want to be playing for or um, being a member of. But over in Major League Baseball, real quick, uh, I should have mentioned this uh, in our baseball segment, but real quick, uh, the New York Mets, a couple weeks ago, they uh, designated second baseman Robinson Cano for assignment, basically sent him down to the minors, um, released him on waivers. He and uh, the San Diego Padres have signed him to a contract. Now, outside of um, Miguel Cabrera, who just got his 3,000th hit a couple weeks ago, uh, Robinson Cano is the next active player that is approaching 3,000 career hits. He's currently sitting at a little over 2,600. So he's a little over 300 hits away from reaching that. I don't know if he's going to play long enough. Uh, to, to reach that, but uh, that Padres lineup is certainly good, and uh, Cano is kind of past his prime, uh, but 
uh, I still think, you know, with Fernando Tatis still trying to come back from injury, uh, Cano would be able to provide some form of a decent bat uh, in that lineup. Uh, but we'll have to see on that. Uh, finish up this segment in the National Basketball Association. Uh, the only thing of note uh, outside of the playoffs was that the NBA's draft lottery was the other night. Uh, I've mentioned this last week when we talked about the NHL draft lottery. I'm not a fan of the lottery um, for different reasons, uh, that being that the worst team doesn't always get the uh, top overall pick, and we saw something similar to that uh, this year. Your draft lottery winner this year in the NBA is the Orlando Magic. They will pick first in this summer's draft, and then the rest of the draft order, the top 14 picks, uh, are as follows. Number two, Oklahoma City Thunder. Number three, Houston Rockets. Number four, Sacramento Kings. Number five, Detroit Pistons. Number six, Indiana Pacers. Number seven, Portland Trailblazers. Number eight, New Orleans Pelicans who made uh, the play-in tournament playoffs, so that's uh, pretty cool to be picking eighth after making the playoffs. Uh, That pick came to them via the Los Angeles Lakers, if you're wondering how they got up that high. Uh, Number nine is the San Antonio Spurs. Number 10, Washington Wizards. Number 11, New York Knicks. Number 12 is the Oklahoma City Thunder, who acquired that pick uh, via the Los Angeles Clippers. Number 13 is the Charlotte Hornets. And number 14 is the Cleveland Cavaliers, who also made the uh, play-in tournament. So um, that's that's the first 14 picks of the NBA draft order for this summer. Of course, the draft is usually in July, uh, so we'll have more coverage on that the closer it gets. But, um, yeah, I mean, all those top five teams are all, you know, absolutely horrible teams that should be picking in the top five, so I don't necessarily have an issue with that uh, per se. Uh, but the Magic uh, get to have the first selection, and like I said, we'll cover the top prospects as we get a little bit closer to the NBA draft. But uh, that is going to wrap up the 76th episode of the Sports Island podcast. Uh, we got lots going on this week. Uh, of course, NHL playoffs, second round, NBA playoffs or the in the conference finals. We have a major championship in golf this weekend, so there is plenty to watch, and that's not even talking about any baseball that you would might want to watch. So uh, I will be all over the place with these uh, games and stuff this weekend, uh, tuning in, and um, I know you will as well. We'll get you caught up next week on everything that has gone down uh, over the weekend and up into next week's episode. Thanks for listening to the Sports Island Podcast. Be sure and find it on Facebook, at Sports Island Podcast. I'm Rick Mitchell, and I'll catch you next time right here on the Sports Island Podcast, which is available everywhere you listen to podcasts.